It was a moment of profound emotion, the kind that words just fall short in capturing. His eyes met hers in a complete awe. They simultaneously looked down at this little bundle, this blessing, this miracle that filled them with wonder, the same kind of wonder that moms and dads today experience as they hold their son or daughter for the very first time, when a parent's hopes and curiosities are activated, a moment when what was and what is and what will be all meld together. Will this little one like sports or maybe music? Will they be good at math or reading? What will the favorite color be? What will they do when they grow up? What college will they go to? Will they be a teacher, a nurse, an engineer? Will they run their own business? Will they fly a plane? Will they be a missionary? Will they marry? Will we get a chance to be grandparents? Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, held the baby Messiah in her arms and marveled at what his life would be. But for these parents, no one could have prepared them for what the future held. Not only would the hopes and dreams that they had for the future of this child not come true, but this little bundle of joy, their firstborn son, would become a murderer. And of holding a future killer would not be painful enough, little did they know that the future victim would be none other than their second-born son. Like a script from a dark and disturbing movie, one child would kill another, leaving two anguishing vacancies in their family and two heartbroken parents in the wake of the events. Today, as we continue through the biblical book of beginnings, Genesis, we find ourselves in the historical and grievous account of Cain and Abel today. And before we dive in, I just want to invite you just to, just to pray with me for a minute, and then we're going to look today at Genesis chapter 4 together. Would you pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, God, uh, it's so puzzling to look back at basically our ancestral record and see these these terrible things that take place, God. And it testifies to your patience. It testifies to your grace and to your mercy and to your love. It also testifies to how dark and how far, Lord, our hearts can go from you. So that all of us come in today with challenges. All of us come in today with uh, temptations of our own and struggles of our own, Lord God. So I pray that today as we spend time in your word, your living truth, God, that you would teach us, you would speak us, Lord, and that we would leave here different today because we spent time with you listening and interacting with your very word. We pray in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. Well, welcome again, especially to those of you who are guests today. My name is Chad, one of the pastors on staff. So glad that you're here. Welcome to those of you viewing online right now. We're glad that you guys are tuning in. Um, just side note, uh, I got back about 10 days ago from Israel. It was a great trip. Uh, I learned a ton that I look forward to sharing with you over the weeks and months and years to come. I fulfilled some requirements for a degree that I completed, and uh, the Bible has come to life in a way that I couldn't explain. And so uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to look forward to the opportunities of sharing what I've learned with you guys in the weeks and months and years to come. Well, today as we spend time in Genesis chapter 4, and I invite you to turn there right now in your Bibles, we're, we're going to be looking at five of our ancestors, our earliest ancestors. We're going to be looking at Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel and Seth. And even though there's a greater narrative here, since most of the events of Genesis chapter 4 revolve around what took place with Cain, I want to camp out with you guys today and just look at six lessons that we can learn from the life of Cain. Six lessons that we can learn from the life of Cain. So open your Bibles, Genesis 4, or turn on your Bible applications. By the way, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. Stop by our information center or welcome center on the uh, way out and grab a Bible. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what we see. Now, 
Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a worker of the ground. Here we have Adam knew Eve. Hint, hint, that's code for recreational reproduction. All right, just in case you guys aren't understanding, he's not saying he just knew her favorite color. There's a lot more implied with that word new. Um, so he knew Eve, all right? And we see Cain, the very first human baby in the history of creation being born, followed shortly sometime by his little baby brother, Abel. Cain became a farmer. Abel became a shepherd. So far, so good, right? Not for long. Look at verse three. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Lesson number one we're going to learn from Cain is that sin hardens your heart toward God. Sin hardens your heart toward God. Look, look, look what we see here that unfolds as these brothers bring offerings to God. Now, we have to understand first, again, this whole sin nature thing. Last week, if you were here or whether you weren't, um, Pastor Joe taught us out of Genesis chapter 3. He reminded us about the fall of man, the introduction of sin into our race. And through Adam and Eve's disobedience to God, sin, the, the natural default to do wrong, was then uh, introduced into the DNA of mankind, and we've been corrupted from birth since then. Even uh, David in scriptures identified that. In Psalm 51.5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So no, man is not inherently good from birth. We are inherently bad from birth because of sin nature. And when we look at Cain, he's like the, the demonstration of just how fast we were corrupted. You're talking about the first human baby on the scene and it just shows how fast the corruption of the heart took place once sin was introduced to our state. Now, we look at sin, we know it's in Cain's heart. What did it do to Cain's heart? It hardened it. It hardened his heart. And we see that by what's evidenced in how he brought his offering to the Lord. This hardness was revealed through this moment. Now, we don't know what initiated the offerings. I don't think these guys just woke up one day and said, hey, I think I'm just going to offer something to God. I mean, they could have gone down like that. There might have been a moment when God had instituted offerings. Not everything is documented for us in the, in, in the Bible. But at some point in time, these men felt the need to come and bring an offering to the Lord out of gratitude, out of worship, and they did so. And it was an outpouring of their acknowledgement and gratitude to God. Now, some people make a case that what the brothers offered was the issue. That because, you know, Abel brought, you know, animals and maybe there was a slain of the animals and the blood, maybe that had greater weight and, you know, Cain just brought food and that wasn't good enough. Uh, that's not really not the case here, I think. I think when we look at it, the bigger case is made for not what they brought, but for how they brought it. Because when you look at other Bible passages that speak to this moment, that's what really pops off the pages for us. It's not what was brought, but how it was brought. Abel brought his first and finest. It was the firstborn of his flocks, and of, of the fat ones. He wasn't like, ah, oh, that scrawny thing will do. I'll just take that, you know? He found the best that he could find and brought that to God. And when you look at Abel, he brought food, but, but how did he bring the food? Did he bring the gleanings? Did, did he put much heart behind it? Because when you look at this whole account, it just seems like there was an absence of faithfulness, of worship, of, of regard in how 
Cain brought his offering to God. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 speaks to this. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Here we are over 2,000 years later, still talking about Abel and his heart. Now he brought his offering to God in contrast to his brother. Uh, Cain's just seemed to be more careless. Now here's the thing. At first glance, it just seems unfair. We just don't have all the information. It's like, okay, they both brought offerings. What was so bad about what Cain did? One of the images that came to my mind when I studied this passage was the image of the iceberg. Some of you have seen pictures like this before, maybe even this picture. Um, When we're dealing with people, when we're dealing with situations, we only see so much above the surface. Only so much is known to us above the surface, but beneath the surface, there's a whole lot more going on, right? And so uh, this this is a picture of what was going on with Cain. On the surface, he brought this offering, but what was beneath the surface? Where was his heart? Was it something out of duty or delight? Was his offering full of faith or was it faithless? Was it obedient or disobedient? Was it everything he could give? Was it the best of what he had? Obviously, all indicators would say no. Cain brought something that was just kind of like, eh, I'll bring this. And there was a carelessness in how Cain brought his offering. And again, it's not because Cain was a bad guy. It's because sin was in his heart, and he let that sin harden his heart. And we're not seeing Abel letting that sin harden his heart the same, but for Cain, it hardened his heart. And this is a stark reminder that you and I are born in sin. Sin wants to harden your heart to God. Sin wants to harden our heart to God. Why, why do some of us feel numb when it comes to God? Sin. Why do we want to run from God? Sin. Why do we want to challenge and, and resist a God of the universe? Sin. Why do we either not want to bring something to God out of our offering, or when we do bring, it, it, it's, it's hearts, our hearts aren't all in it? Why? Sin. And that sin, sin, that same sin that reigned in Cain's heart is the same sin that can reign in our heart. Because here's the reality. There's a little bit of Cain in all of us. This this is our roots. These are our ancestors. And so there's a little bit of Cain in all of us. That's why we need a relationship with the living God. That's why we need to go down the path that he's offered through the relationship with Jesus, to be in relationship with him, to counter that sin. Uh, Sin infects us. And a relationship with Jesus can be an antidote to this. And so, man, we want to live for Christ. Because the more we live for Christ, and the more Christ lives in us, the more Cain dies in us. And so the first thing we need to realize when we look at life of Cain is that sin can harden our heart. The second lesson we'll see in the next set of verses, going to verse 6 now. So Cain's angry, right? Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, is desirous for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Number two, God provides a way out of sin. God provides a way out of sin. God knew Cain's heart. God knew Cain's temptation. And he came to him and revealed to him a different path. See, see, see the pattern here? This is a beautiful pattern. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came to them, right? They didn't come to God. He came to them. And gently, lovingly, he called them out. When, when, when Cain was tempted to sin, God came to him. 
He didn't wait for Cain to come to him. He went to Cain. And he's saying, you don't have to go down this road. I know what you're struggling with. I know what lies before you. There's a different path. And if you choose what's right, it'll go better for you. That's really what God's saying. He says, if you choose what is good, right? It's the Hebrew word yatad. If you, do, if you choose what is good, yatab, um, man, it's going to go good for you. Saith, which means you're not, your countenance will be lifted up. He's saying, your face is fallen, you're down. But if you choose to do the right thing, your countenance will be lifted up. It always feels better to do the right thing, right? It does. It's a, there's a battle in the moment. Our flesh says, no, it's more fun. And sometimes it is more fun in the moment to do the wrong thing but it leaves a lingering sting in our life somehow. And so when we fight to do the right thing, when we, when we take the different avenue, when God provides a detour and we take it, man, it, it feels better in our hearts and our life, and it goes better in our heart and life. And, and God is warning Cain that he's weak, he's vulnerable, he's susceptible, and if he chooses what is right, he'll do better, he'll feel better. He's saying sin's crouching. It wants to devour you, it wants to own you. Don't let it own you. This is God's message for Cain. That's why verse 8 is so sad. Verse 8 is so sad because it shows that Cain didn't take the detour. He didn't listen to God's warning. He felt overcome and overwhelmed by his sinfulness that he chose to go down that road. He didn't take the detour and he gave in. Here's what's so interesting about Cain in this moment. Cain was actually mad at God. It manifested itself through a jealousy and an anger toward his brother Abel, but Cain was mad at God. But Cain couldn't hurt God, so he hurt the one he could. That's still going on today, right? How many times have you had someone who they've been mad at God, but they'll take it out on you? Or maybe you have been mad at God, but you've taken it out on someone else. That person might be sitting next to you right now. That your deeper issue is with God, but since you can't touch him and hurt him, it just overspills into the lives of the ones you can't hurt and touch. This is what's happening with Cain. God said, you don't have to go down that road. And Cain just ignored it, and he went down the road. You know what? We're not that different than Cain. Maybe our temptations look different, but we're tempted, right? Every single day, we're tempted we're tempted every day, all day. Isn't that awesome? And we're tempted internally by our own lust and desires and our flesh. And we're temp tempted externally by the world and the devil just trying to you know, bombard us with opportunities to stray from God. And sometimes we go, okay, and we go. Tempted every day, all day. But God knows your heart. And God knows your weakness. And just like he came to Adam and Eve, and just like he came to Cain, he's coming to you and saying, don't do it. Right? You know it. All of us know the voice of God right here when the temptations, and there's this screaming inside, whispering inside, something inside saying, don't do it. Don't do it. That's the voice of God. Will we listen? And I love 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's a reminder that God provides a way out. It says, no temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. God's faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God's saying, there's a sin that's lurking. Some of you are sitting here right now, and you can name it. You know the sin that's lurking outside your heart, that's inviting you to fail, that's inviting you to join in. You know the sin knocking on your door, and God's saying, you don't have to answer that door. 
In fact, I've got this other door for you. It's wide open. There's a big exit sign. It's flashing. I've got cookies and coffee waiting in there. Would you just leave the door and go down this door? And sometimes we're this whole, like, you know, well, God closes the door, opens the window. And sometimes we think that the, the, the temptation is the door and the, God's only providing a window. Don't you know that sometimes the temptation is the window and God's providing a giant garage door to get the heck out? But will we take it? Will we take it? Will we listen or will we be like Cain? Will we just give in? Because here's the deal. There's going to be times that we give in. There's just times that we fail. You know why? Because there's sin in us. There's a little bit of Cain in us. But the more we live for Christ, the more we fight to be in a worship environment, the more we fight to be in a, in a, in a life group, the more we fight to be serving Christ, the more we time to be in God's word, the more time that we're spending time with the Lord, the more we fight to live in Christ. And when we see Christ living in us, we'll start to see Cain dying in us. If you're sitting here and the temptation seems too strong in your life, you know why? It's because you're living in Cain. You're not living in Christ. We've got to learn to live in Christ better. Verse 9. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. <laughs> and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Lesson number three from Cain, own your sin. Own your sin. We go back to this pattern here. Adam and Eve fell. God came to them and said, you messed up. Let's fix it. There's going to be consequences, but we can, we can fix this on some level. Cain messed up. God came to him and said, what'd you do? What are you talking about? Isn't that the way it works? Come on, let's think about it. Go, go all the way back to when, from when you were a child to maybe all the way back to an hour ago. Every time we mess up, we have this default inside of us, this instinct, this urge that says, cover it up. Cover it up. Did you do that? Nope, not me. It was... Some, clearly someone else. From, from being a child on, there's this innate thing inside of us to, to just run from responsibility, right? Like that car that you hit in the parking lot when you open your door and you look around and nobody's around. Come on, don't tell me nothing. I'm just, here we go. <laughs> We're, we've all done that. Come on. We break something. You get caught. You get caught red-handed. And you're still, not what you're talking about. It's accident. It's not what you think. It's not what it looks like. It's innate. I'll never forget my first car accident. I was thinking of all the zillions of examples. I remember my first car accident. 17 years old, driving my car early in the morning to high school. Roads were a little bit wet because it had just rained. I was a playful 17-year-old. I took the turn. I'm like, yeah, we'll give a little bit more gas. We'll get some shred. This will be fun. Lost traction, spun around, hit a parked car. I got out. I'm like, oh, my dad's going to kill me. Why bother going to school? I might as well just go to the cemetery and lay down now <laughs> in a hole. I get out, and I look at one side of my car, and I don't, I don't see any dents, scratches. Dent. I'm like, it's early in the morning. My car looks fine. Dad won't know. Uh, their car, not so good. <laughs> okay, well, maybe, 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 yeah, okay. Uh, uh, I should probably say something. I don't know. Okay, so I walk around the other side of my car, totally jacked up. The other side of my car is all banged up, all dented. First thought. I could just say it was parked in the parking lot and I just came out and it would just look like that. Like, this is how our brain works in the fallen state. And I just knew the game was up. And, you know, I told my dad and he didn't kill me. He just sort of maimed me for the day or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I just wonder, like, I owned that at the time and, and I rarely think about it. 
Like, it just came to my mind this week, first time in years. But what if I wouldn't have owned it? I think I'd be thinking about that quite often. Because it's just embedded in my life as an unconfessed sin. I didn't own it. God came to Cain. He was caught red-handed. He's talking to God. Where's your, where's your brother? I don't know. <laughs> you liar. It's God. And then look at, look, this, this is again where we see his heart that's hard. The sarcasm, the deflection. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, th- this, is, this is the heart attitude of Cain. He's deflecting. He's denying. He's just, he's just taking one out of the book of his parents, right? Because you look back at Genesis 3. Adam, what'd you do? Hey, it was the woman you gave me. What can I say? Eve, what happened? Oh, it was the serpent. It was a serpent, you know? Deflecting and shifting and blame shifting. Pastor Joe talked about that last week, you know? It's the same thing we do. You know, here you see Cain just taking one out. Where's your brother? I don't know. Hey, you know, I'm not his keeper, you know? On and on and on. And look, when you and I mess up, because we will mess up, God's going to convict you. God's going to speak to you. He's going to say, what have you done? You've got a choice in that moment. Lord, I've messed up. Lord, I've sinned. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to admit it. God, I, I just make it right somehow. There might be consequences, but, but just I don't want to carry this around. Or lie. Shift responsibility. You and I have to own our sin. We have to admit it. We have to confess it. We have to let God do something with it. You know, we maybe haven't murdered somebody, but we're all agents of destruction on some level. We've broken trust. We've destroyed relationships. We've lied. We've cheated. We've, we've used our words and our bodies and our minds and, and our actions to do damage in this world. We just, need to, we just need to admit it, confess it, and let God restore through his grace and his mercy. You know what I love about this passage? It's the play on words that you see God do in Scripture. Like you see here that the blood of Cain fell to the ground. Cain or Abel, Abel shed his blood unwillingly, involuntarily, and when God confronted him, he said, your blood's crying out to me from the ground. What was Abel's blood crying out for? Justice, vengeance, restitution. You know, we see an interesting verse. I'm jumping to the back slides, uh, upper house. I'm going to go to Hebrews 12, 24. It says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what do you think about Jesus? Jesus willingly gave his life, voluntarily. Because as God, as God wrapped in flesh, Jesus went to the cross, allowed us to nail him to the cross so that his blood would cover over our sins. And when the blood of Jesus falls to the ground, and we see here that the message of Christ's blood is better than Abel's, what is it saying? His blood's not crying out for justice and vindication and restitution. His blood's crying out, it's been paid. The justice, the price of justice has been paid for you. That my blood crying out says, it's God's love, grace, and mercy and forgiveness now that are available to you. That's a beautiful contrast to what God provides for us. That in Christ we can live and we can live free and we can live forgiven because when we look at this contrast, we go, man, we want to learn from Cain and the more we let Christ live in us, the more Cain dies in us. So we got to live for Christ. Lesson four that we learn from the life of Cain is there's consequences to our sin. There's consequences to our sin. 
Look at verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment's greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me away today from the ground and from your face, and I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. When we don't listen to the voice of the Lord providing us a detour from our sin, it doesn't go well for us. And when we choose to sin, there's consequences. I I remember as a high school kid, I don't know who was, I don't know where I was, but someone said, you can choose your sin, you just can't choose the consequences of your sin. And it's stuck with me ever since. Because you and I have a buffet, a smorgasbord of opportunities to blow it, lay before us hours upon hours every day. And we get to choose, but you know what? You can't choose whatever you participate in, what it's going to do to you. You don't know how that's going to come back up in your life. And we look at Cain, and and there were consequences here. Cain wasn't going to be able to get away with sin and, and just skip away and create his own reality. There's going to be consequences for sin. And look at, listen to the voice, of, uh, the voice of God. The tone changes, right? He goes from this appealing voice like, don't go down that road. Hey, what have you done? He went from the voice of you know, this, this care and this appeal to now the voice of authority. Because God, the perfect parent, now is going to be in discipline mode. All of us parents, grandparents, even aunts and uncles, you know that tone change. We're like, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> There's a tone change. You hear the tone change here. Now God's voice of authority kicks in. Please understand this. When you look at what's taking place here, it's not that God would not forgive Cain. It's that Cain would not let the Lord forgive him. And we can find ourselves in the same place. God's providing forgiveness, but there's going to be consequences. And consequences doesn't mean the lack of forgiveness, but there's going to be consequences for sin. And you look at Cain, man, he severed his relationship with his parents. He became isolated. He drove a further wedge between himself and God. He went off to this land of Nod, which means wandering. What a great place. Hey, I hear you're moving. Where are you going? Some place called wandering. It's an indication of what kind of life he was going to live. His sin cost him his home, his family, his job, and made him exiled and secluded. I've said this before, it's been said here before many times, I don't know who first said it, but one of the phrases that's so helpful when we start to think about this is that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, right? Like, think about it right now. Let me just, let me just pick one. The epidemic of pornography that we have right now going on for, for the men in this world, especially young men, it all started with one click, one that click kept them a lot longer than they ever thought they'd go. And it's kept them there longer. Now we've got people who've been addicts to pornography for years. It's kept them there a lot longer than they ever wanted to be there. And you know what? It's going to cost them a lot. Because when they try to enter into a romantic relationship, it's going to be distorted. It's going to be skewed. They're not going to know how to handle an intimate relationship with a real person. It's going to cost them more than they ever thought they could pay. 
And when we sin, it's kind of like we open up our wallet and we say, okay, sin, I know it's going to cost me. And, and maybe there's all this money in your wallet and there's a dollar bill. And we think, go ahead and take that. And sin just reaches in and grabs it all. So no, I'll just take it all. In fact, I'll just take your wallet and your keys. There's consequences to sin. Cain was having all these consequences pouring out. You know, so many people are fixated about the mark of Cain. <laughs> what, 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 what kind of mark did he get? It's like, that's not the point. <laughs> and there's a lot of solutions out there. Some people say, some people have ridiculous answers for the mark of Cain. Oh, he had horns on his head, or God changed his skin color. That, that's ridiculous. And you have these other, like, you know, super spiritual answers. Well, it wasn't really a physical mark. It was some sort of sign for, for Cain so that he could be reassured that no one would help him. It was just a covenant between him and God. There's, there's all these answers. The language really indicates that God put some sort of physical mark. I don't know if you guys heavenly sharpie out and drew a picture or whatever, but... Cain had a mark that God provided him. You know, our sin marks us. How many, how many lies do you need to tell before people look at you and go, you can't trust them, they're a liar? How many times do you have to flake and break your promises before people look at you and go, you're not trustworthy? How many things do you have to steal and take from others where people go, no, I don't think I want you in my home because you're a thief? Right? Our sin marks us. We, we spend years, decades, building a reputation and building up um, integrity and it only takes seconds to lose it. It's consequences for sin. You've got to look at Cain's life and understand that. There's consequences. And we're going to mess up sometimes and we're going to pay those consequences because there's a little Cain in all of us. But praise God, in a, through a relationship with Jesus, you get to hear God's warning more clear you get to embrace the, your failures more easily. And sometimes you know, the consequences adjust basically uh, based on that. And so as we're learning those lessons, we have to keep remembering, man, the more I let Christ live in me, the more Cain dies in me. And it will prevent you from some of the consequences that sin will take you down. The fifth lesson that we see from the life of Cain. Our sin influences our family. Our sin influences our family. Look at verse 17. Cain knew his wife, hint, hint. And she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Well, Cain didn't wander around forever lonely. He eventually settled down. He had a family. Not only did he have a family, he built a city. He had a community. This kind of speaks to just how fast the human population was growing early on in the creation account here. Population was booming. Now, some, uh, this kind of helps us in, interact with a couple questions. A couple main questions that come out of this passage in Genesis is like, well, A, who was Cain afraid of would kill him if it was just Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, but then Cain killed Abel, so now it's just Adam and Eve and Cain. Who is he afraid of? The shadow, you know? Um, then it says, boom, Cain settled down with his wife, and we're going, his wife, where on earth literally did his wife come from, you know? And we just have to keep in mind a few things when we study the Bible, okay? We have to keep these things in mind. Keep in mind that we're not informed of a timeline here. This isn't a timeline. This is a series of events that take course over a period of time, but there's no timeline. So do we know what the timeline is? Keep in mind that the Bible was written with a patriarchal mindset, that they, that they you know, covered the genealogy through the men, and so, man, there might have been girls born between Cain and Abel, perhaps, perhaps not. But we know that Adam and Eve had more children. We know they had plenty of boys and plenty of girls. I mean, you look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 4. It says, the days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other 
sons and daughters. And so when you start to look at this account, the answer is really obvious. You just have to see what's embedded in there. Because in Genesis chapter 1, right, just look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. They're being faithful to what God told them to do. They're knowing each other a lot, you know? And, and the world's getting populated, and, and family's having family. Here's where it gets kind of weird for us, because when you go, God was populating the earth, obviously, as icky and as forbidden as it is for us to think about, early in creation, family were marrying family and creating more family, all right? And because they lived so close to their perfect state, because when God made them, they were perfect, we don't understand all the nuances of the perfection, but that's why they were living for hundreds of years. We go, come on, some guy lived for 900 years? Hey, look, God made them perfect. They had access to the tree of life early on, all these kinds of things. They were near this perfect state, so their, their lifespan was longer. But once sin entered in, and once death entered in, the lifespan started shrinking. It wasn't like lifespan, boom, it just started tapering. And we see after the flood, there was a major tapering, because after the flood, which we'll look at here coming up pretty quick, after that, their lifespan was a lot shorter, and God said, I'm going to clarify some things. You may not no longer, you look in Leviticus 18, you can't know your family anymore. <laughs> the job is done. The earth's populated, okay? We're, we're switching gears here a little bit. And so you, obviously Cain's wife came out of that pool of early people. Obviously the people that fulfilled his city and the population of the world that was increasing all came out of that pool of early humanity. But that's not the point. The point is, as people are increasing, sin and the presence of sin is also increasing. And sin influences your family. And you start to look at verses 18 through 22, and they start to list the family members of Cain. And they're, they're going down the genealogy. And when you get to like verses 23, 24, all that kind of stuff, they talk about five, five lines down, there's this guy named Lamech that shows up. He's a piece of work. Because he basically says, look at my great, great, great grandfather Cain. He killed somebody, and God said, Don't, you know, there's going to be a curse on anyone that uh, kills him. Well, I killed somebody. I'm pretty proud of it. So if anybody kills me, the curse is going to be you know, even worse. He's, he's, he's a braggart. He's prideful about the fact that he killed somebody. Not only that, he's telling his two wives about this thing he did. And you're going, wait, time out. Two wives? Why the line of Cain, first account of polygamy we have. And when you look at 18 to 22, there's all this account, hey, they, 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 were, they were metal workers, they did music, they did all these things, but the thing missing when you read from 18 to 22 is there's no presence of a people that loved God in Cain's line. You don't see that. Human ingenuity, human power, it's there. Love for God, living for God, absent. Why? Because Cain influenced his family with his sin. And we're going to do the same thing. You know that, right? I want you to think about the struggles that you struggle with. It doesn't just affect you. It's classic rock in the water, ripples. The people you love most around you now and in the future will be affected by our struggles. I'll never forget the time that I had a conversation with my mom. I was a young man. I didn't know much about my birth father. He didn't raise me. And I just said, tell me more about him. And she started talking about some of the struggles and some of the nature and characteristics of the man. Scared me to death because she was describing my heart. I was this man's son and he didn't even raise me. I didn't even know him. And his sin, his struggles were imputed into me. And I'm so glad I found Jesus because I feel like God just got out of a big eraser and just erased all that stuff out of my, out of my lineage. And I was able to start a new family, you know? 
But as parents, grandparents, aunt and uncles, all this kind of stuff, you got to think about that. Do you want your loved ones struggling? Do you want to gift wrap your temptations and struggles and give it to them and hand it to them? Because that's what happens. Look at Cain. It happened in his line. Do, do we want our kids to be twice the liar, twice the cheater, have twice the materialistic mindset? Do, do, we, do we want them to struggle with the things that we struggle with? Or do we want to give them a different legacy? And I want my kids to love God doubly what I love. I want, I want my kids to have double God's wisdom and double the knowledge of God's word. I just, we want to pass that legacy, right? Lord, help us pass that kind of legacy to our kids, to our families. Hey, look, if you're a teenager or a young adult right now, please tune in really strong right now. Because it's so easy for you to be thinking, well, that's down the road. That's down the road. Hey, listen to the older folks around you. We're just here to tell you something. Whatever your struggles are now, all the decisions you're making now, who you're dating, who you're marrying, what you're doing with your social life, what kind of behaviors and addictions and all those kinds of things, whatever you're struggling with, whatever character building you're doing now is carving a path. It's aiming you for your future family. And if you don't get a rein on some of that stuff now while you're young, it can be epidemic not only in your life but the life of your future family. Head it off now. And be a godly young man and young woman now because there's a little bit of Cain in all of us. But if you live for Christ and you let Christ live in you, then Cain will die in you. The sixth lesson that we learn as we look at the life of Cain, and we can rejoice over this one, God brings restoration in spite of our sin. That's when people go, Amen. <laughs> Let's try that again. God brings restoration in spite of our sin. Yeah. That's right. Genesis 4, 25, 26. And Adam knew his wife again. Hint, hint. And she bore a son. She called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born. He called his name Enosh. And at the time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Adam and Eve were left with this haunting memory that they had two sons. One killed the other. One got banished. One was dead. Now they've got a clean slate. Now, obviously, more children were coming in, coming online. Seth stood out. He was like a firstborn son to them. And unlike Cain and Lamech and all those others, Seth starts to produce a godly line of people. Let's talk about just two of the people that were in Seth's line. There was a man named Enoch who was so righteous and so holy that he walked with God that God just took him. He didn't even die. Like, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't have a file for that. You know what I'm saying? God just took him, and he was so righteous. Genesis 5, 24, I think is, that's found in. And, and, and we find this guy named Enoch. Not only that, there's another guy that pops out of the line of Seth. We're going to be talking about him very shortly. He's kind of significant. His name is Noah. Fast forward genealogy of Seth Really fast forward, there's another guy, pretty important to us, comes out of the line of Seth. Oh, his name is Jesus Christ. God brings redemption when it looks like there's no hope. God brings restoration when we just don't see like there's a way. And for Adam and Eve, Seth came online, and we can see now how God used the line of Seth. Not only at that point, sin was increasing. It says here, people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. God will always have his way. God will always be glorified. God will always make things work the way he wants. God always provides a chance for restoration and healing when there's been a mess that's been made. What are, what's our responsibility? And listen to the lessons that we can learn. 
Listen to the lessons that we can learn. And as we do that, let that inform us of how to live for Christ. Because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of his invitation to new life, because of his invitation to live in us, if we let Christ live in us, then Cain will die in us. I talked to a guy after the last service. He was my problem is I let Cain kind of stock up in me. I let him build up in me. He says, today I'm walking out just going, I've got to let Christ build up in me. That's my hope and prayer for you today. I don't know where you're at spiritually. Some of you are in here, and you have a relationship with Christ, and this is just fuel to your fire. Some of you, you've come in, you're, you've been wandering. You've been living in your own land of nod, wandering. You know Christ, but you've been just kind of tampering with the world's invitation to sin. Maybe God's got you here saying, cut it out, get back on track with me, let me live in you so that Cain and you can die. And maybe there's some of you here today that you need a relationship with God. You don't have Christ in your life. And you don't even have Christ to live in you. And today's the day you need to let Christ come and live in you by believing in him and trusting in his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Our invitation to you is just make a decision of whatever the next step looks like to let Christ live in you more. You know, you have a response card. If you're here in the room, you can fill that out and indicate what kind of decision you need to make. Online, you can email us at connect.cvconline and let us know that you prayed to receive Christ or that you have a prayer request. For those of you here that you have serious business to do, before you leave, that prayer code is going to be open. And people each week go there with, man, hey, I'm, I'm stuck in sin, I need prayer, or hey, I need Christ, would you pray with me? Help me understand how I can have Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. We're here for you. We just want to help you take your next spiritual step. So let us know how we can do that. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, thank you that, that we're not stuck. We're not stuck in sin. We're not stuck being like Cain. God, you provided a new way. You provided detours. You provided a new life in Christ. Lord, I pray for all the believers in this room that love you, that are trying to walk faithful. They're the Abels. They're the Seths. They're just trying to be faithful right now to you, Lord God. Encourage them, motivate them, empower them to continue to do that. God, for those in this room that they've found themselves wandering off, they're strained. Lord God, just like you did with Adam and Eve, just like you did with Cain, you've come to them. And you said, come back. And you've used even this moment today, God, to draw them closer to you. God, would you just allow them to surrender? Just allow them to see that what you have to offer is far better than anything the world has to offer. Draw them close. And they recommit their lives to you. Lord God, for anyone here in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you, may that be the decision they make today. God, may they just pray this or something like this. Say, God... <laughs> I've seen the work of my hands. I've seen the work of my sin. Now I've heard that Jesus has come to die on the cross and raise from the grave so that I don't have to be stuck. Jesus, I believe. Come into my life. Live in me so that the cane in me can die. I give you my life, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. We all said together. <clears throat>